Welcome to episode 201 of This Week in Linux, recorded live on June 11th, 2022. I'm your host, Michael Tunnell, and this is a Tux Digital Podcast. If you're new to the show, this is a show that will keep you up to date with what's going on in the Linux world, and I'll give you my take as a 20-year-plus Linux user. On this week's episode, we've got some distro news, app news, desktop environment news, and even some gaming deals to talk about. All this and so much more coming up right now on your weekly source for Linux. Good news. This episode of This Week in Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean, by Visuex, and by Bitwarden. Before we get started this week, I wanted to just take a moment to let you know that if you'd like to submit news to This Week in Linux, you can do that by going to tuxdigital.com contact and then selecting on the Submit News to Twill in the topic dropdown. This is a great way for developers and community members to get in touch and perhaps get your project on the show. So go to tuxdigital.com contact if you'd like to submit some good news. There has been a lot of movement in the SUSE community recently, so this week we're going to be checking out the latest releases of SUSE Linux Enterprise and OpenSUSE Leap. So SUSE Linux Enterprise 15 Service Pack 4 or SP4 arrives with Confidential Computing and SL SLSA Level 4 Compliant Supply Chain Security Certification. We're going to be talking about those in a little bit more detail, so first up let's talk about SLSA. This is the Supply Chain Levels for Software Artifacts, or SLSA, and this has Level 4 compliance with SUSE Linux Enterprise. And this is also, so from going forward, I'm going to be pronouncing this as Salsa because that is the recognized pronunciation, which I'm a big fan of that. So let's talk about it. So Salsa is an end-to-end framework for ensuring the integrity of software artifacts throughout the software supply chain. It was started by Google and is now a, foundation, a Linux Foundation project. And Salsa set level four compliance is, a, is the highest level you can get for this. And SUSE says that its code has been given a two-person review of all changes and uses a hermetic rep- reproducible build process. This is the, like I said, the highest level of compliance for Salsa, and it means that companies can have confidence, a high degree of confidence, that the software hasn't been touched by hackers. Also, with SLEE 15 SP4, they have support for confidential computing. If you're running the AMD Secured Encrypted Virtualization Encrypted State CPUs, or SEVES CPUs. So what does that mean? Well, instead of just encrypting data when it's at rest in storage or on the network, it's also encrypted in memory or CPU registers. This is important if you are running processes with sensitive data on the cloud. SUSE says this that SLEE 15 SP4 is the first Linux distribution to support this functionality. SUSE has been also a bit of a propo- big proponent for live patching. So SUSE first introduced live patching in their distro in 2014 for Linux kernel updates. In this latest release, though, SUSE now supports live patching for user space application. This is pretty cool, and it means that you can update user programs with no downtime. This also means SUSE will live patch security critical programs that you might not think about as a user space program, such as the OpenSSL cryptographic library and others. And if you'd like to learn more about this news with SUSE Linux Enterprise 15 SP4 or Service Pack 4, you can find links in the show notes. And also, real quick, I like how they now have the support for the AMD chips with Salsa. It's a good combination. In other SUSE news, let's talk about OpenSUSE Leap. 
So OpenSUSE Leap 15.4 is now available for download. And for those that don't know, OpenSUSE Leap is the community edition of the project that also happens to be built from the same shared sources as SLEE 15 SP4. OpenSUSE Leap 15.4 introduces Leap Micro 5.2 as the newest version of its lightweight operating system designed for containers and virtualized workloads. This latest release of OpenSUSE 15.4 has open source graphic driver improvements, shipping of NVIDIA RTX 30 signed firmware packages, and also PHP 8.1 is included for web service and much, much more is included in this release. But I also wanted to talk about something that's coming up pretty soon for this release is the OpenSUSE Leap 15.4 will be introducing improved multimedia codec installation via Cisco's OpenH264 integration, which will be released with a maintenance update pretty soon. OpenSUSE Leap 15.4 also receives updates to some desktop environments, such as now being shipped with KDE Plasma 5.24, GNOME 41, Enlightenment 0.25, and Mate 1.26 as desktop options. If you'd like to learn more about this latest release or check it out for yourself, links in the show notes. Tails 5.1 has been released this week, and it includes some improvements to the Tor Connection Assistant and to handling of captive portals. But the most significant change is the, the fix to a severe security vulnerability that was found in the Tor browser in a previous version of Tails. This even sparked suggestions that some users should stop using Tails, at least temporarily. So let's talk about that. So this, the security vulnerability was discovered in the JavaScript engine of Firefox and the Tor browser. And you can also see some links about the details from the Mozilla Fo Foundation Security Advisory, which I'll have in the show notes. And this vulnerability allows a malicious website to bypass some of the security built in Tor browser and access information from other websites. Obviously, not great. But Tails 5.1 fixes this security issue. So if you are using Tails already in an older version, absolutely update as soon as possible. Also in this release, Tor Connection Assistant now automatically fixes the computer clock if you choose to connect to Tor automatically. This makes it much easier for people in Asia to circumvent censorship and other things like that. Tails learns the current time by connecting to the captive portal detection service of Fedora, which is used by most Linux distributions. This connection does not go through the Tor network and is an exception to their policy of only making internet connections through the Tor network. So they connect to the Fedora servers for this purpose in order to get accomplish this uh, automatic adjustment. And if you'd like to learn more about the latest release of Tails 5.1, you'll find links in the show notes. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by DigitalOcean. Cloud computing can be, let's say, complex, but standing up reliable, affordable cloud infrastructure really doesn't have to be. At DigitalOcean, you can enjoy a comprehensive portfolio of compute, storage, database, and networking products that put your cloud infrastructure in capable hands so you and your teams can get back to doing what matters most, building world-changing apps that grow your business. With DigitalOcean, you also get predictable pricing, robust product docs, and services that developers love. That's DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean also gives you support at every stage of growth, from teams of one person to teams of a thousand people. With simple, powerful cloud computing, you can get growing at DigitalOcean. And as a listener of the This Week in Linux podcast and a member of the Tux Digital community, you can get started on DigitalOcean's awesome cloud platform for free. In fact, it's even better than free because DigitalOcean is going to give you a $100 free credit when you go to do.co slash tux2022. That's do.co slash tux 2022. So again, go get started with your $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's awesome cloud platform 
by going to do.co slash tux2022. We want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of This Week in Linux. Blender has released version 3.2 of this awesome open source 3D modeling and animation software. The biggest news for this release for Linux users is that AMD GPU rendering for Linux has been enabled. This is supported for RDNA and RDNA 2 generation discrete graphics cards, which includes Radeon RX 5000 series, the RX 6000 series, and Radeon Pro W6000 series GPUs. This currently requires the 22.10 Linux driver from AMD Radeon repository, but this is awesome because this now means that anyone who uses AMD hardware and wants to do hardware acceleration with your GPU on a Blender, then you're going to be able to do that, and that is fantastic. Also, in this latest release of 3.2, they reworked the UI for library overrides in the Outliner, improved smooth algorithm for the grease pencil and various other improvements to its functionality. There is also a new uh, curve pen tool in the curve edit mode to rapidly edit and create curves, which is fantastic because otherwise you have to use the pen tool and then you have to do the handles to kind of create the curves that way. This way you can have that built in, which is fantastic. They've also added support for WebP image format and much, much more. If you'd like to learn more about the latest release of Blender 3.2, links in the show notes. The GIMP project has announced on Twitter that initial CMYK support will be coming to the next development release of 2.99.12 thanks to a developer working on it as a part of the Google Summer of Code program. For those that don't know, CMYK is a subtractive color model which is most often used for printing. The letters of CMYK refers to the four ink plates used in some color printing such as cyan, magenta, yellow, and key which is also black. The CMYK model works by partially or entirely masking colors on a lighter, usually white background. The ink reduces the light that would be otherwise be reflected, and this is why it's called subtractive color, because it subtracts the colors red, green, and blue from the white light. So white light minus red leaves cyan, white light minus green leaves magenta, and white light minus blue leaves yellow. This is great news as it is one step closer for GIMP to be a, a viable alternative to Adobe Photoshop, but it still has a long way to go. As a professional graphic designer, I'm always looking at the latest updates for the GIMP project because I am really hoping that someday it can be a good alternative for Photoshop because that would be fantastic. If you'd like to learn more about the GIMP news, uh, link in the show notes, and if you'd like to learn more about my opinion of GIMP as a professional graphics designer, then check out episode 281 of Destination Linux, where we discuss various different alternatives to the Adobe suite, including GIMP versus Photoshop. Link in the show notes. Regolith Desktop has announced the release of Regolith 2.0. Regolith pairs the i3 tiling window manager with GNOME Flashback and adds in an assortment of other components to deliver a more polished approach to the i3 experience. They have replaced the uh, Rafi launcher with a new desktop executor designed specifically for Regolith called Ilia. This tool is pretty cool. It does basically everything you would expect a launcher to do, like search for search for and launch applications, but also it has the ability to manage windows and even see notifications for the desktop. Another cool thing about Ilia is that it also acts as a key bindings viewer. Now this is very important, especially for tiling window managers like i3 because they typically don't make it clear what the shortcut keys are by default. And since they are all bespoke configurations, they're all very unique to themselves. 
it's pretty odd that that is the normal for these kinds of window managers, but it's really cool to see that Regolith is addressing this in their setup. Also in this latest release of 2.0, they've added Debian Bullseye support for the, uh, the list of supported OSs, including Ubuntu Focal and Ubuntu Jammy, which is 22.04 and 20.04. Regolith Control Center replacing the GNOME Control Center in this release. And also they have a new command line utility for collecting Regolith diagnostic inf information called Regolith-Diagnostics. So that makes sense for the naming. There's also a lot more. But there is one caveat, though, that I wanted to point out, that currently Regolith is only available for Ubuntu and Debian-based users. But hopefully that changes in the future for those who prefer a different distribution base, such as myself. If you'd like to learn more about this news about Regolith Desktop 2.0, link in the show notes. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. Get started right now with your free account at bitwarden.com tux. Bitwarden is an awesome password manager that allows you to have peace of mind knowing that your online accounts are secure. How does it do it? Well, Bitwarden provides you with tools to store all of your passwords in a secured vault, auto-generate those passwords, auto-generate usernames, and also now automatically generate email addresses with Firefox Relay and some other services, as well as being able to automatically fill in those passwords on login forms so you don't have to do any of this stuff. Plus, you can access your data across many different types of devices, whether it's your web browser, mobile application, desktop application, or even on the command line. Bitwarden also seals and encrypts your private data with end-to-end -end encryption before it ever leaves your devices, so you know you're the only person with access to your data, which is very, very important for such an application. Now go to bitwarden.com tux to get started. And did I mention you can get started for free? Well, you can, but I think you want to check out their premium account because you get a lot of great stuff and all of it for less than a dollar per month. That's right. For less than a dollar per month, you get one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F Duo, Vault Health Reports, Bitwarden Authenticator for temporary one-time passwords, priority customer service, and so much more, and all of it for less than a dollar per month. So make the smart move like many community have and go to bitwarden.com tux to get started. And thanks again to Bitwarden for sponsoring this week in Linux. So let's talk about EasyOS. So EasyOS is an interesting name because I wouldn't necessarily classify it as beginner, so the term EasyOS, I don't know, seems kind of off a bit because this is an experimental Linux distribution which uses many of the technology and uh, package formats pioneered by Puppy Linux. Now, Puppy Linux is very interesting as well, and EasyOS is not a derivative of Puppy Linux, but similar, and it was also made by the same person who founded Puppy Linux. So EasyOS was created by Barry Collar. For those unfamiliar, like I said, Barry is a the founder of Puppy Linux Project, but he decided to hand off the management of Puppy Linux to the community when he started working on EasyOS. Now, the project for EasyOS has released the newest version of 4.0, which makes a lot of adjustments, including adjustments to compression, structural changes to the system, and also avoids writing data to the hard drive, and much more. In EasyOS 4.0, during normal usage, everything now happens in RAM, and there are no writes to the drive. This potentially means that a cheap USB flash drive that doesn't even have wearing le wear leveling will last a very, very long time because it's very rarely being written to the drive which is a really interesting approach. SquatchFS files also are in, being uh, compressed now with LZ4-8C, and this, in combination with the running totally in RAM, results in a lot of speed improvements, very noticeable speed performance there. 
There's also performance improvements for app startup and container startups as well, and so much more. EasyOS is a very interesting distribution, and it's definitely worth checking out for those who are curious. But I will say again, the EasyOS kind of implies that it's beginner friendly, and it's it's not really. It is really cool, but I would say if you're a beginner, I would say check out something else. But if you're not and you want to check out something a really cool a distribution that's doing stuff in a very interesting way, then check out EasyOS. And if you'd like to learn more about it, links in the show notes. This week we saw the release of PeerTube 4.2, and this latest release comes with a lot of cool features. PeerTube is a free and decentralized alternative to video platforms like YouTube, so you can self your self-host your own video website essentially if you'd like to. Now, PeerTube 4.2 provides new metrics for detailed viewer stats such as average and total watch time, peak viewers, total viewers, aggregated watch time, viewers by country, and audio retention. This release also adds the ability to adjust latency of your stream during a live broadcast, which is really nice. But the biggest news for this release is easily the new feature of being able to edit videos directly from the web interface. You can cut the video by specifying a new start time or new end time code. You can add in an intro at the beginning or an outro at the end of the video by uploading a video file and also add a watermark to the top right corner of the video just by uploading the image. And once you make these changes, PeerTube will automatically transcode the new video and replace the original one on, so you can basically just replace it in a similar style that how YouTube does it, which is really, really cool because it makes, if you ever, if you make a mistake or forget to put in the intro or the outro, you can fix that live, which is fantastic. And if you'd like to learn more about this latest release of PeerTube 4.2, links in the show notes. Desktop email clients, the thing everyone has been dreaming about for so long. But seriously, in a world where webmail services dominate these days, I do appreciate the classic experience of using a desktop email client. And this is where Vivaldi Mail has come in. So they, Vivaldi has decided to join the conversation by this week announcing that Vivaldi Mail 1.0 is now available. And of course, this is built right into the Vivaldi web browser. Now the features it includes is multiple account support, assortment of filters, layout options, Dark mode, which is fantastic, automatically detects mailing lists and mail threads, uh, RSS feed support, works offline, it has a search feature, and also it has keyboard shortcuts and support for text signatures. Basically, there's some fundamentals that are in, available for this email client, as well as some other cool stuff like RSS feed support and the automatically detecting mailing, mailing list, which is very, very cool. I haven't had a chance to give it a try yet, but it does look quite interesting. I'd prefer to use something like Thunderbird that's fully open source for my email client, but Thunderbird has had a, it's had it rough for a while. I like parts of it, but the visual elements and user experience needs a bit of work still. So in the meantime, if you'd like to learn more about Vivaldi Mail, links in the show notes. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by Visuex.com. Visuex is a brand strategy design consultancy. They basically help brands and businesses achieve their goals and accelerate growth to convert leads into customers through design and marketing services. Visuex helps businesses gain a competitive advantage and build lasting relationships with their communities. So businesses shouldn't settle for good enough when they can contact Visuex and get visual excellence. And as a listener of the This Week in Linux podcast and a member of the Tux Digital community, you can get a free consultation with Visuex plus if you let them know you heard about Visuex from Twill, you will receive a 10% discount on your first project. 
So go to visuex.com slash tux to get started. And I want to thank Visuex for sponsoring this episode of This Week in Linux. System76 is a well-known company in the community because they make a lot of hardware, including desktop, laptops, servers, and now a keyboard with support for Linux as the main focus. And we actually reviewed the keyboard on DOS Geek channel. Uh, myself and Ryan, we did a collaboration about the System76 launch keyboard. I have a link in the show notes if you want to check that out. And in an interview with Dutch tech site Tweakers, System76 says it plans to open a distribution center somewhere in Europe in the coming months. Tweakers had an interview with System76 principal engineer Jeremy Soller, who confirmed the news and said that they will be starting with a launch keyboard later, uh, adding to other products such as the desktops and laptops, but they have to do more certifications and stuff like that to get that you know, settled. So Jeremy said, Laptops and desktops have a lot of restrictions and the costs are higher, so we will start with our launch keyboard and sell it from European Distribution Center so that the shipping costs and taxes for that market are lower. System76 has been around for many years making solid products with laptops and especially with their Thaleo desktop line, which I have not yet been able to get my hands on just yet, but except for that brief period in 2019 when I visited their warehouse, unfortunately, the only Thaleos available at the time for me to get my hands on were still in the assembly process, so I didn't really get to play with it much. So close, but so far. Anyway, I hope to check out the Thaleos someday. Back to the news. So System76 are working on adjusting their launch keyboard for the ISO versions for Europe, and they're also looking for storage space to set up their distribution location. They are also working on a smaller version of the keyboard with the launch light version with a 65% layout and also no integrated USB 3.2 hub. So for those who don't know, the 65% layout means they would basically make some adjustments overall but remove the function keys at the top row. Now, depending on your preference, you might want a smaller, a smaller keyboard or a larger keyboard. I found out through getting my the launch keyboard that I prefer a larger style than the 75% that I think that's what it is on the normal version of the launch keyboard. I prefer, I think an 85%, like just kind of chop off the numpad and then leave the rest. That's kind of what I prefer. But you know, of course, a keyboard is a very personal preference to what you like to type on and how you like to use it and that sort of stuff. So it really depends on your own personal preferences. But I also want to remind you, check out the video that I have linked in the show notes for the review that Ryan and I did on his channel about the launch keyboard because it wasn't totally favorable. There are some pros for sure. There are also a few cons to check out, so link in the show notes. But thankfully their laptops are already conforming to the CE marking needed for Europe because that means that they'll be able to get them sooner than later, and that's fantastic. But the desktops, well, they're working towards certification, but of course it's a bit more complicated than keyboards, so it might take a bit longer. But I think that's gonna be, this is a really cool news for System76 to jump into the European market because a lot of people have been wanting that to happen, but they don't want to pay the insane customs charges to you know, ship it to Europe. And having a distribution center is going to cut down that a lot, which is great for those who want to get a System76 laptop or a System76 Thaleo, which eventually will happen, which is awesome. Uh, there are some other companies in the European market already, like Introware, Tuxedo Computers, and Slimbook. So if you want to check those out, I can have links in the show notes. But if you want to learn more about this latest news from System76, links in the show notes. 
So let's talk about Atom Text Editor because we got some unfortunate news related to it and that it has been discontinued by Microsoft. So it makes sense though, real quick, I understand why they would, want to, they would want to discontinue it because essentially they're currently building two of the same product because VS Code and Atom are essentially the same thing. So it'd be kind of weird to have two of the same. So I get that. However, at the same time, Atom has been around for a long time and it's just a shame that they decided to get rid of it in favor of VS Code because it means that Microsoft purchasing GitHub was uh, inevitable that this was going to happen. Like, I did predict it. I'm not sure if I predicted it on this show or not when the news of Microsoft buying GitHub happened, but I did predict it in general because, well, it just feels kind of inevitable that this would happen. So, I get that. At the same time, still kind of sad. But to quote the blog post for, from GitHub, it says, we've decided to retire Atom in order to further our commitment to bringing fast and reliable software development to the cloud via Microsoft Visual Studio Code and GitHub Spaces. Today, we're announcing that we are sunsetting Atom and will archive all projects under the organization on December 15th, 2022. Now, I've given you my opinion as to why. Basically, there's two competing products. But they also, in the blog post, said why they're going to be doing it. And I, it seems a little bit sketchy as to their, their claim, but hold on, we'll get to that. So, uh, the quote from the blog post says, Adam has not had significant feature development for the past several years. Though we've conducted maintenance and security updates during this period to ensure we're bearing good stewards of the project and product. As new cloud-based tools have emerged and evolved over the years, the Atom community involvement has declined significantly. As a result, we've decided to sunset Atom so we can focus on enhancing the developer experience in the cloud with GitHub Codespaces. Now, the part that kind of bothers me with that statement is because it feels like they're blaming the community. And I saw some people on Reddit or some other some feedback sections talking about how the community wasn't working on it, so that re that's why they wouldn't continue it. But that's not really fair because, of course, they're not going to. As soon as Microsoft purchased the application or purchase the company that controls the application, there were a bunch of people who just kind of bounced from that because they didn't want to deal with that sort of thing. So it's not because the community does, doesn't contribute to it. It's because, well, Microsoft bought GitHub. Now, I'm not saying that this was a horrible thing for GitHub. There are some pros and cons that have come from this purchase, but I did think it was inevitable. And so it's not really all that surprising. But it is kind of a shame because Atom is a really good text editor. There are a lot of cool features. It's very customizable. You can uh, basically change every element of it. So it's kind of a shame. Hopefully it becomes forked because uh, it is open source. So hopefully someone forks and there's a new uh, project. It wouldn't be the Atom project because I'm pretty sure like Microsoft's not going to give up the trademark for it or anything like that. So it'll be have to be something else. But I do hope that happens because it would be a shame for that to be going away, especially since Atom is the foundation of the Electron framework. Because for those who don't know, the Electron framework that powers a lot of applications that are web-based on the desktop came from the development of Atom by GitHub. So it is pretty important for the legacy of Electron, and it is a really cool text editor. Though, for those who are looking for an alternative to Atom, if you're currently using Atom, you have six months to switch. But if you don't want to go to VS Code or VS Codium, uh, obviously the VS Code, the reason why I wouldn't use it is because of the massively excessive telemetry that Microsoft is collecting from, from their users. So no thank you. 
But for those who want to use VS Codium, they do remove that. So you can check that out if you want to. But I would suggest Sublime Text because it's fantastic and kind of where a lot of the Atom inspiration comes from. Because a lot of functionality that was in Atom was originated inside of Sublime Text. And I've been using Sublime Text for many years, and I'm a big fan of it. So, you know, if you're going to have to move anyway, consider giving it a shot. No, I don't work for Sublime or anything. This is not affiliated. I just wanted to say it because I am a fan of Sublime, and I like it. So there you go. If you'd like to learn more about this latest news, link in the show notes. On a previous episode of Twill, I covered some gaming deals and asked if people would like for me to continue to do that, and there was a resounding response of yes, so let's do that this episode. So let's talk about Humble Bundles, because there's quite a few of them. There's games and books to talk about. First up, we have Capcom Summer 2022 Bundle. There are 11 days left for that bundle. And this is, has uh, Devil May Cry 5, Street Fighter 5, Bionic Commando, and more. City Skylines Colossal Collection has four days left as, as a recording. And this has the game for City Skylines plus about 30 DLC packs, which is really cool. There's also Cybersecurity and Cyber Warfare eBooks by Packet that has two days left. Uh, Big Data and IoT by River Publishers has 16 days left. And then another ebook bundle for called STEM Bootcamp by Mercury Learning has also 16 days left. And I also wanted to cover one that's just pretty fun. The Star Trek Library by Hero Collector has 12 days left. You can explore the Star Trek universe in this collection with like ship guides, tech manuals, character profiles, and much more, including Star Trek cocktails. So that's kind of cool. I'm very curious what that's, what's in that. So if you want to check any of these bundles out, plus also there's a bunch of other bundles that will be in the show notes in addition to these because I just couldn't cover all of them because there's quite a few right now. But you'll have find links in the show notes for all of these plus some more. And also just quick note, those links will be affiliate links. So if you would like to uh, purchase any of these bundles, please use those links because a small percentage of the purchase will go to this show. And I would very much appreciate that. So yeah. Links in the show notes. The other gaming deal I wanted to talk about is the GOG Summer Cell is live. This cell contains classic games like Metal Gear Solid, game collections like the Alien Isolation Collection, giveaways, and much more. This sale is going on from now until June 27th. If you want to check it out, links in the show notes. Although, real quick, these are not affiliate links, just to be clear on that one. Humble Cell, the Humble Bundle Cells, affiliate links, GOG Summer Sale, not affiliate links, just regular links. So, links in the show notes. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on this show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the channel and the show, we have multiple ways to contribute via Patreon, sponsors, and others. You can learn more by becoming a patron by going to tuxdigital.com contribute. And if you do become a patron, you can join me during the live stream in the recording stadium to discuss stuff between the topics, and also to hang out every week after the show in the patron-only post-show. Plus, you can also support the show by ordering the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt or the Linux or the This Week in Linux t-shirt. I was so happy I didn't say t-shirt this time that I kind of messed up the name of my show right after. So, it happens. Eventually, I'll get this part right, but right now, uh, I didn't. So, you could also get the This Week in Linux t-shirt by going to tuxdigital.com slash store. Plus, while you're there, check out all the other great stuff like the hats, mugs, hoodies, stickers, coasters, so much more at tuxdigital.com slash store. 
If you'd like some more podcasting goodness from me, then check out the latest episode of Destination Linux and Hardware Addicts, as I'm a co-host of both of those shows on the Tux Digital Network. And just a reminder, this show is live every Saturday at 1 p.m. U.S. Eastern Time or 1700 UTC, so join us in the live chat room to discuss all the latest Linux canoes each and every week by going to tuxdigital.com slash live. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tunnell with the Tux Digital Network, and I'll see you next week for another episode of your weekly source for Linux. Good news.